What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli, coming at you with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, the big analytic who remains high on Julius Randle, co-host Andrew D. Bailey. Before we get started, I just want to remind, implore, beg, plead with everyone to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. We can also be found wherever else your podcasts or wherever else you get your podcast, but that on iTunes is still the best way to help out our pod and let us know that you're listening. So please take the 10 to 15 seconds out of your day, search Hardwood Knocks on iTunes, throw us that review. We appreciate the five-star ratings. Write an actual review. We love those and definitely subscribe if you haven't already done so. And if you have done all of those three things, it is now our request that you just recommend us by word of mouth or force by stealing people's phones and subscribing them and also rating us from their phones. They will thank you later, even if they don't particularly like you overall. With that said, before we get into our Western Conference halfway mark report cards, we have to ask the question that we have been asking inconsistently the past few weeks as we battle ridiculous schedule logistics. Andrew, how are you doing? Doing good. Um, yeah, it's been, we haven't quite been able to do two a week like we usually do, so we apologize for that. But I'm excited to <clears throat> be back in the saddle, so to speak. And I just got to say, I love uh, I love the wording, recommend by force. I, I think we're going to have to use that a lot going forward. Yeah, that's the only way we're going to get those those ratings up at this point, I guess, right? <laughs> recommend by force. That's that's very good. Um. And uh, since you'll be starting off, since we're going in alphabetical order with the Western Conference teams, going to try and get through all 15 today instead of splitting them up into four different podcasts like we did last time. We are grading teams relative to expectations. Um, (laughs) That needs to be pointed out. And this is a whole season thing. Um, We can mention our grades that we did last time, but uh, you could also go back and listen to those podcasts because they, they are obviously timeless since we recorded them, but... I just want to get that this is not, you know, we cannot grade the Phoenix Suns and the Golden State Warriors on the same curve. It just, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Um, that's a, a really good thing to bring up. And I actually thought while I was doing my grades last night, um, I feel like I kind of grade the entire Western Conference on a curve. I, I kept giving teams here and there. This is a little bit of a spoiler alert. I'd give them a grade and think, is that too high? And then I kind of tell myself, well, they got to play all these Western Conference teams, and they're they're hovering around 500. So I'm going to reward them for that. So I had kind of a curve. Um, You're in the Western Conference. Yeah. You get a you get a plus. You get yeah. a plus. 
<laughs> you get a slight bump for playing in the West. And it'll be, I, I mean, I didn't go in anticipating doing that. So it'll be interesting to see if I have sort of the opposite feeling about the East. But uh, I, I had to think through a couple teams last night more than I thought I would. I will say really quick that I wrote halfway grades for Bleacher Report, and some of my grades have, have changed a little bit. Um, but it was very hard overall to give out failing grades because yeah. it's, I mean, there's a 25 team playoff race right now. I mean, if you include the East and yes, there are teams above 500, but you do have to say uh, a below 500 in the East, but it was like, you know, did we really expect the, the magic to be within the, like so close to the playoff race halfway through the season? Maybe, maybe we did, but that's, yeah. that's kind of thrown everything for a loop as well. Totally agree. All um, right. Should we talk? Mavericks? Yeah, let me get our uh, trusty timer here that we're going to try to stick to going. And um, whenever you're ready, you may commence. All right, the Dallas Mavericks, 17th in offense, 18th in defense, 14th in net rating. They are 20 and 24. Um, I gave them a B-plus at the quarter pole. Dan gave them an A. And at the halfway point, I am giving the Mavericks a B. Um, I don't know what their I don't know what their record was at the time that I gave them that B plus. Um, I do feel like they've fallen off maybe a little bit since then. Um, I've been not <laughs> annoyed, probably not the right word. Just sort of curious about why Rick Carlisle is so dead set on the starting lineup that he he has had basically all season. Um, I think. You know, and, and lately Maxi Kleba has been starting, so maybe he's starting to trend towards something else. But the numbers all season long have been <clears throat> really good when Luka Doncic gets to play with those bench guys uh, that have been really good. So that's one thing that's been curious to me. It doesn't seem like the Dennis Smith situation has been handled <laughs> perfectly. So maybe that's another reason to slightly dock them. But those are kind of nitpicks for a team that I think a lot of people – were hundred uh, percent sure coming into the season would be bad, and they're they're comfortably below five hundred at this point. Um, but I think it's safe to say that they've surprised a decent amount of people. Um, and of course, my my key stat <laughs> on them is uh, Luka Doncic, and right now he's averaging over twenty points, over six rebounds, and over five assists. There's been one hundred and thirty seven of those seasons in NBA history. And Luca is 137th in minutes per game. He he's doing it in less time than anyone. Um, he has exceeded even my expectations. Um, I I think it would be hard to find anyone who thought he'd come in and be this good this quickly. Uh, his advanced numbers just keep slowly but surely crawling upward over the course of the season. He looks ridiculous. Um, I, I think they're going to be in it as a just below or near 500 team the rest of the way. I gave them a B plus probably because I was lower and I deleted their ranks and records before we started this. I'll, maybe I'll leave the records in next time because the, the rankings in the material. But I gave them a B plus, which is down from an A uh, because they, they have slipped off. But like this wasn't a team that I thought was going to be even kind of close to the playoffs because of how deep the West was. And to mm-hmm. be four games back when not only is a rookie your best player, but DeAndre Jordan has just been the least impactful high-volume rebounder that I've perhaps ever seen. 
Uh, there are just sometimes he just doesn't look interested in rebounding or maybe even playing basketball anymore. That's probably a little bit too harsh. But you have him. Um, Harrison Barnes has started perking up, but he didn't start off the year well if we're looking at it in totality. Uh, the, the bench also, and I think this is, I mean, Dirk forever. Like, let me just get that out of the way. Dirk forever. <laughs> but the bench was uh, first in point, uh, point differential per 100 possessions before Dirk Nowitzki came back. Um, and now that he's back, they've dropped all the way. I think it's to seventh now. Um, no, they're sixth, which is still good, but like that's a drop. So that's kind of hurt. You lose J.J. Barrera. I Just the body of work that they've done, uh, Maxi Kleba being good, needs more playing time. As you said, it looks like he's been starting lately. So good for this team. And I think they, they're still on pace to me to beat expectations. Maybe they'll get closer to a B or B minus, which I would say, you know, C plus range as the season goes on, which I would say is, oh, they're where we think they were going to be if they decide to kind of steer into a tank and maybe try and keep this year's pick. Um, but I'm still pleasantly surprised by this team. And Luka Doncic has a lot to do with it. But you give, I mean, let's be honest, give Rick Carlisle popsicles, some chewing gum, and any point guard in his mid-30s, and he's going to cobble together like a top-10 bench. I really think that that's just, he, he he's great. So I think a B-plus is, is good for them. All right, that takes us to the Denver Nuggets. Uh, fifth in offense. 11th in defense, 7th in net rating. They are 30 and 14. I gave them an A at the quarter. You gave them an A plus, And I'm giving them an A again. Um, my key stat, I, I could have gone Jokic, but I, I feel like everybody who follows me or listens to this podcast has probably seen their fair share of Jokic stats <laughs> from me. Um, what he's doing is just <laughs> yeah. Since like two thousand, since he came out of the womb, I think they've seen Jokic stats. <laughs> um, they're still he's still underappreciated to me. I don't know how many guys who average you know twenty plus points, ten rebounds, and eight assists, and stand seven feet tall would be picked apart the way he is. But <clears throat> I'm actually going to go with something. Uh, Different. They're presumed starting five of Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Will Barton, Paul Millsap, and Nicole Jokic. That five-man lineup has played a total of 46 minutes together this season. Um, less than one game, obviously. So they are, they've been in first place in the West for a good chunk of this season. Um, Jokic has been great. Murray's been kind of up and down. I think they, they've gotten more than maybe some expected from Juan Hernan Gomez. Uh, Monty Morris has been way better than I expected. Malik Beasley has been good. Um, Malik this is Beasley like, and Monty Morris. I just Sorry to interject, but holy crap. Oh, yeah. There is a not-so-insignificant chance that, Monty, that Morris is going to end up in my top 100 midseason rankings. Spoiler alert. I, I couldn't fault you for that. He's been great. He, he's played so well. I, I've, I've thought a few times. They might as well just wave Thomas. Jamal Murray, right? Just wave him. <laughs> well, I was going to say, does Isaiah Thomas instantly, you know, come in and get that role? Um, no. Can you, can you take it from Monty Morris at this point? And I think I'm leaning towards the answer that you just gave, which is no. But um, for them to be 30 and 14, to be neck and neck with the Warriors, uh just past the halfway point in the season and have fewer than 50 minutes from their starting five. Um, that's, that's just really, really impressive to me. 
Um, even the Plumlee Jokic minutes have been pretty good this year. I mean, they've go ahead. Sorry. No, I was, I was just going to say that. I mean, um, they've just done a lot of things to weather the storm of all these injuries. And now Gary Harris is hurt again. So they got to wait a little bit longer to get that starting lineup back. But they've, they've just been very, very good in the face of adversity this season. I'm just going to call you out for being a hard grader. They get an A plus for me. (laughs) Um, Oh, and two, uh, two really quick things to point out. These vitals are coming for cleaning the glass. They filter out garbage time once again over there, so that's what we're we're using in case no, no one knew. Um, and, I mean, the Nuggets, uh, people are going to be out on them because, I, I, I don't know, people just don't tend to like Nicole Jokic as a superstar. He's a superstar, playing like a top 10 player this year. Uh, they're going to use that 142-111 to loss to the Warriors as evidence of something, just stop. It's not. We're talking about a team that has lost the most games to injury of anyone in the league, and yet they're second in what is just a ridiculously brutal Western Conference, just looking at the record. And as you said, the stuff that they've done to fill in gaps where you've had a... If you would have said right now that they would have had to play Mason Plumlee and Nicole Jokic almost 500 possessions together this year before the season started, I don't think that's what they would have wanted. And yet they've done it um, for a healthy sample. They're a plus 12.5 points per 100 possessions during that time. The defense is predictably tenuous, and I'll put that nicely, but they have a 121.6 offensive rating. Mason Plumlee's been another guy who's just been excellent. He's like diet Nikola Jokic sugar-free light or whatever you want. Like <laughs> That is what he has been for them this year. So... They get an A-plus for me because you're going to factor in all those injuries, put them at number two in the West. Uh, their defense has been better overall. Uh, Nicole Jokic still a little bit dependent uh, of Paul Millsap being on the floor. But when you talk about the games that they've lost, with Will Barton missing most of the year, Gary Harris um, has been on the injured list for a significant time. It feels like twice now since he's dealing with that hamstring injury. I, I don't know how I give them, just relative to expectations, how they still don't get an A-plus right now and that is my a plus like i've i decided to limit myself to one a plus and one f for just a complete failure and the nuggets got my a plus you might have talked me into it um where do you want them to be with all they've gone through (laughs) yeah i don't know what they could have done differently um all right you did it i'm giving them an a plus all right good so we're just gonna end the (laughs) podcast there i swayed andy (laughs) And as another spoiler, my F does not come in the Western Conference. It is surprise, surprise in the East. Um, (laughs) That brings us to the Golden State Warriors. They are first in offensive efficiency, 12th in defensive efficiency per cleaning the glass, uh, and second in net rating. They are 31 and 14. Andy gave them a C as his first quarter grade, as did I. I gave them a B plus this time around. If for no other reason than it just seems like they're the Warriors again. Klay Thompson's working out of his slump. In recent, I don't even want to say weeks, week, it seems like they're using Stephen Curry better. There's there's joy in how they're playing basketball again. And my key stat for them, if we want to talk about the decline of Draymond Green on the offensive end, that's fine. A lot of people try to talk about his defensive regression, and there do seem to be nights where he's just a touch slower than he was, but the Warriors 
are have a defensive rating of 104.7 when he plays center, which is really good. It's in the 87th percentile per cleaning the glass. And for the Warriors defense overall, um, when you put when you put garbage time back in the equation, they fall outside the top 15. But when you look at their defense in crunch time, they're second in points allowed per 100 possessions. This is still a team that's just ridiculously good and can flip a switch. Uh, y- y- are you concerned about their bench shooting? Maybe. Uh, I, or you should be, rather. But the center position, even if you don't like Green logging so many minutes there, he's already had 910 possessions uh, at the five. DeMarcus Cousins is on his way back. There's a chance this team gets scarier. I think Kevon Looney's been fine for them. Uh, the Jordan Bell stuff this season has just been wild, considering how we went from talking about him as this gem last year to... great last season. Yeah, uh, now he just is perpetually in Steve Kerr's doghouse, I guess. So, uh, it's just, they could they, they have not lived up to expectations because you had the early season drama. Their defense should be better, just in the aggregate. They should be, when you look at their talent, I would still think with... Even how Kevin Durant seems like he's been defending the past week or two, you would think that they should have at least a, a top 10 defense. So th- there's definitely that to consider. But they've worked their way back to a B plus, which is basically, no, you haven't exceeded expectations, but you've done really good and you're, you're on the right track. Yep, that's where I have them too. Um, everybody talks about the Warriors, so I won't add too much. And, and I agree with everything that you've already said. I'll just reiterate the fact that um, Clay Thompson and Draymond Green appear to be on their way back. Uh, Clay's three-point percentage has climbed up to 36.9. Um, he was languishing around like 33 for a big chunk of the season. It was really it was odd. a long time, yeah. Yeah. And Draymond Green, um, ESPN just updated real plus minus last night. He's up to second in defensive real plus minus. So he's on his way back to uh, those those two guys breaking out of whatever their slumps were is a scary thought <laughs> for the rest of the NBA. Um, like you said, Curry's been ridiculous lately. I still don't quite understand why Curry is so insistent on having Durant <laughs> run as many possessions as he does when, when you have Stephen Curry. Um, but the last thing I'll say is that game against the Nuggets, which we've already referenced, that felt like the Warriors saying, um, okay, everybody, knock it off. We're, we're <laughs> Warriors. Uh, 51 points in a, in a single quarter and 10 threes in a single quarter was like, wow. Um, I didn't watch live. I went back and watched it. I shouldn't say I went oh, back because I wasn't watching live, but I watched the game. And that first quarter was I, – I don't even know what that was. I wasn't was really crazy. sure what I watched after the fact. And there's – you. That's that's not something – I don't think any team in the league can recover for recover from um, and they can do that on any night <laughs> on any quarter. So they are, they are still without question, the presumptive favorite. And by the way, Curry has topped 40 points in three of the last seven games. Yeah. He, he's starting to look three really last six. Wow. Sorry. I counted wrong. That's still nuts. Yeah. Really, really good. Uh, that brings us to the Houston Rockets who have probably been one of the most confusing teams this season. Yeah. Uh, as we record this, they are fourth in offensive efficiency, 25th in defensive efficiency, 13th in net rating, and they are 25-19. and 19. We both gave them a D the first time around, uh, and I have given them a B-plus now. I don't know what this is. It's kind of the Nuggets argument, but to 
a lesser degree at this point just because Houston isn't enjoying as much success overall. Chris Paul's not playing with a hamstring injury, and he was not especially good when he was healthy. Eric Gordon has missed time. Clint Capella's out now. Uh, they, we've They've gotten to a point where they needed to rely on Daniel House before he went back to the G League since they didn't work out a contract. They signed James Nunnally, who's, who might have to log during this 10-day contract some significant minutes. Austin Rivers is second on the team in playing time since arriving, and yet here the Nuggets are. They're within striking distance of home court advantage in the first round. I mean, they, they are a game back of the third seed right now in the loss column and just overall. So that's impressive to me. The key stat has to be for James Harden, and maybe you have the per-game numbers for him. They're just, we they've been regurgitated so much, I don't even want to get into them. He's basically averaging a zillion points per game, and the Nuggets are winning almost solely because of him. But since Chris Paul went down, James Harden has attempted 209 pull-up three-pointers. So that's over a span of 13 games. The ne- There is no team in their last 13 games that has attempted 209 pull-up three-pointers. The closest we get is the Dallas Mavericks, who have attempted 152. So Jeez. since Chris Paul went down, uh, or over the last 13 games, uh, since that's just more even, James Harden has attempted 57 more pull-up three-pointers than any other single team. And he's hitting them at a 37.3% clip. That is that is just patentedly unfair, unbelievable. I don't know, I don't know what else to call it. Still 16.1 pull-up three-pointers per game. That's just that's cray cray. Is it, it, it yeah, and I don't know. The, the team's defense is not great. They're 23rd since Paul went down. That's the NBA.com number. And again, they don't rank too favorably in that metric overall. As they get healthier, they could get better. But a lot of this depends on right now, how long can James Harden play at this level? And then when is Chris Paul coming back? Quinn uh, Capella, we know uh, with the thumb injury, it, he'll be back soon. And, and that should be fine. That's not something that should linger. They can't. If he does play like this all season, I feel like he's just going to be gassed beyond belief in the playoffs. So you hope that the Rockets start to get healthier, that they can maybe pick up a wing at the trade deadline, just something to alleviate Harden's offensive load or make it so that he doesn't need to score 85 points every single night. But again, looking at the injuries that this team has dealt with and their wing rotation and how dependent they suddenly are on Austin Rivers, not even a shot at Austin Rivers at this point, but he shouldn't be... He shouldn't be your fifth best player. I'm sorry. He shouldn't be your fifth best player. So, and they've even dealt with injuries to James Ennis too. So, I I think a B plus is, is more than fair for them. B plus is what I gave him too. We're pretty we're pretty close on all these so far. Um, the James Harden numbers at this point are uh, almost unfathomable. Like I'm I'm having almost? a hard time. I'm just like. <laughs> Yeah, I'm having a hard time putting it into words right now as we do this podcast. I was on my way to a, a pre-trial conference in Tiny Town, Wyoming the other day with my dad, and I was trying to explain what's going on to him. This is a guy who loved the NBA in the, the 80s and maybe a little bit in the 90s, but he's been completely unplugged for 15, 20 years. Um, and the thought of some player taking double-digit pull-ups and step-backs <laughs> per game and shooting them at nearly 40% was so foreign um, to him 
and and it's even foreign to me, somebody who's been watching the NBA very closely for years now. Um, it came this this is a revolution or a potential revolution that just came out of nowhere. And I was thinking while you were talking, um, how many times Mike D'Antoni has kind of been um, at the forefront of this? It's at, at least two with Steve Nash and the Suns, and now what he's doing with the Rockets over the last couple of years. Um, but if you look at what he's done with a couple individual players, it's more than that. There's Nash, there's that obvious, the Linsanity run with, with Jeremy Lin. Um, he made Kendall Marshall into a double digit assist guy. Oh, wow. Uh, I forgot about that. For all people, uh, Chris Duhon had a nice little run as Mike D'Antoni's point guard. Um, I thought a bunch of times there's, there's so many players over the course of NBA history that I wish could just play one season with Mike D'Antoni just to see what they could do. Um, the way that he empowers players is just really, really cool to me. Um, the only other stat I'll add to what you had, um, like you said, everybody's repeated the per game stuff for Harden and per game since this date and per game since that date. But over the course of the entire season, he's averaging 55.6 points plus points generated by assists per game. 55.6. <laughs> Just barely yes. under, just barely under fifty percent of the one twelve per game that that Houston averages. Um, he's he's just been ridiculous, and there's there's so many different ways um, to show how ridiculous he's been. But I, I mean, it's just it's crazy. I am right there with you. Last question before we move on on that is is he number one in your MVP rankings now? I think he kind of has to be. <laughs> yeah, he's he's taken over for me too. Which is uh, the last time we recorded? I think we both had Giannis, but I'm taking Harden now. I don't think it's. I don't think his victory is set in stone yet, but I think he probably oh, has to be number one. Yeah. Uh, that brings us to the Los Angeles Clippers. They are ninth in offensive efficiency, twenty second in defensive efficiency, sixteenth in net rating, and twenty four and twenty. You gave them an A plus last time. I gave them an A plus 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 plus. Uh, I'm at a B plus with them, and I gave them an A minus uh, last time for BR when I was writing the midseason ranking. So they've come down a bit. The the four. The, it's just the West just fluctuates so much, and yep. so I could probably still be talked into an A minus for them. They're so deep. Uh, I I don't. Not that it's disingenuous to the team, but I wonder if they'd be a lot better if Doc Rivers would stop playing Avery Bradley and just dole out those minutes to yes, they would to just some of it, like give Wallace more minutes, go that yeah, route. Anyone. I think, I think, all right, that's fair too. Uh, they're just, they're really, really solid everywhere. And they don't have that superstar, but you have three guys who are just destroying it on the offensive end. When you look at uh, Lou Williams, Daniil Gallinari, who has probably been their best player. And then Tobias Harris. I know. I know Tobias Harris is is scoring more, uh, but Danilo Gallinari has still not a good defender, but he's defended a lot of positions. So th- there's value in that. He's played center this year, and he's probably their second best option at center to me uh, at this point than anyone else on the team. When you look at Gortat, Mike Scott was promising at first, um, but that's kind of fallen off. The the in 164 possessions at center, Los Angeles. Uh, with Gallinari at center, Los Angeles has a plus 
net rating. Clearly not something that you can go to for an entire game, but I found that interesting. This, for my key stat, and by the way, I whiff on so many prospects, but I'm happy that I was right about Shea Gilgis-Alexander. He's just, he's so good, and he's so smooth, and I think he's going to, he's kind of fallen off the radar, I think, a little bit, as the Rookie of the Year race is tightened up, and we have all these other newbies just putting up crazy numbers like they're veterans. He's just, he's really good. He's going to be a great defender. Uh, I don't know if he can ever be your best passer for an offense, but he just, his scoring chops, they're more expansive uh, than they looked in college. And I know people were kind of worried about that as as he came in, uh, shooting close to league average from three, which I think is a rookie, even on low volume, is fairly impressive. So uh, I, he's really good, and I'm interested to see his career. Montrez Harrell, I don't know how you pick six man of the year right now between him and Sabonis and even yeah. Spencer Dinwiddie being in there. That's I mean, and let's not forget about Lou Williams either, who is just getting to the, the foul line at will, leads the Clippers in assists, which isn't saying much when he's at 4.9, but still. Um, and he's scoring 18.7 points again, almost 38% from three. The Clippers are just so deep. And this is the most, for their key stat, this is the most Clippers stat ever, for this team anyway. In games where teams enter crunch time and they do not have the lead. So they're tied or trailing by five points or less. The Clippers have a league high 10 victories. So entering crunch time without the league, they're 10 and 10 and they've won more games overall than anybody else in those situations. They just fight. They just fight. And I want them to make the playoffs just because I think they would be really fun to watch in the postseason doesn't matter to me if they get bounced in five games or something because they face the, the Warriors or the Nuggets. I, I want to see them in the postseason. That's a crazy stat. Um, yeah, they're, I, I, I echo everything you said. They're a really deep team. Um, I agree that there's a couple guys that – I mean, Avery Bradley, he hasn't helped a team in a while. Uh, and if you look at his career numbers, he, he's been a distinct plus maybe like one or two times in his career. I also don't really get the ceremonial starts for Marcin Gortat. I, I get why everybody says you can't play Boban. I don't think I really buy it. Um, I would just start Montrez Harrell and, and play Boban 15, 16 minutes a game. I think you can get by with him playing uh, that few minutes. Um so there's a couple rotational things that I think are a little off. I don't know if I said I gave them a B plus as well, um, but generally speaking, they they're just solid. They've got all these solid, uh, um, not not like knock your socks off players, but good solid players. Um, I I didn't realize Daniel Gallinari at a center was like a thing. Even um, I need to tune into more Clippers games to see what that looks like. But that's that's very intriguing to me. He has actually been higher than Tobias Harris all season in those average rankings that I do. Um, Montrez Harrell has been top 25 to 30 all season long. I mean, they've, they've got those two and Harris basically around that like 20 to 35, 40 range. Um, and that's not, that's not a trio that's going to compete for a title probably, but that's um, I've used the word solid like four or five times now, but that's, <laughs> solid NBA basketball team and they're going to be competitive with those guys there just like you said so um they're a they're a pretty easy B plus to me too they the the thing about Gallo by the way uh, which I meant to mention before 
he's slashing 45, 45, 91. Yeah, and he, for his whole career, he's been good at getting to the line, too. That's always been understated. It's because he misses, and that's what I'm waiting for. When is Gallo going to miss that 14 to 24 game stretch? Yeah. I, I just I hope I, they stay healthy. What's that? Yeah. If you, they're going to be a problem if they stay healthy. They, they just, they keep, they keep coming at you. And, and I'm, I, again, I'm, I'm still very much impressed with this team. The four games over 500 uh, thing is, is weird in the West. They, it, but they're, they have a winning record against Western conference teams, which I think is important. So I could probably still be talking to an A minus for them just because you look at the West and what's supposed to happen. They were a team. I think them, the Pelicans, uh, the Timberwolves, the Grizzlies, those, those were the teams at the beginning of the Spurs. Would they even be, how close to the playoff picture would they be once we got to this point in the season? And I think that you can say they're closer to a playoff lock than a fringe playoff team. They're not a playoff lock. I'm just using that scale. Uh, the Los Angeles Lakers, who still have LeBron James for people who have forgotten, <laughs> which... Man, is his groin injury going to be fascinating when we're talking about all NBA teams and even all star selections? He's still going to get voted in as a starter, but when you miss basically 25% of the season, I think that's when we have to start talking about does he even belong on the first all NBA team? Nothing to do with his, his, his performance, it's just availability as a skill. Anyway, there's uh, some really, really good forwards this year, too. Yes, that makes it way more difficult. Um, so the Lakers are sixth in offensive efficiency, 21st in defensive efficiency, 14th in net rating, 25 and 21 overall. You gave them a B plus the first time around. I gave them a B. I'm giving them a C plus this time. I, I just haven't seen the player development amongst their, their younger guys. Uh, Kyle Kuzma's probably been the brightest spot and he's shooting like negative 2% from three. Definitely an exaggeration. I think he was, he was under 30%. Last time I looked at that, that's what I'm holding against them. Here's what I'm not holding against them. Team that isn't built to navigate LeBron James's absence is not navigating LeBron James's absence. Yeah. Big friggin' surprise. I don't know. Luke Walton, the Lakers, uh, people who watch him every game or watch all of their games two or three times, they can talk about his scheme. That's fine. You cannot fire Luke Walton because the Lakers are not winning without LeBron James. They're not built to win without LeBron James. It's just it's just a fact. So I, I just don't know what people were expecting. The, the loss to the Cavaliers is terrible at, at home. That's just a bad that, – that's a terrible loss. But LeBron James basically is this team. And so since he's been out and these just kind of dovetail, this is my key stats for them, they are 27th in points scored per 100 possessions, third in points allowed per 100 possessions, but they just they can't shoot. They he's so important to their spacing because they don't have enough shooters overall. They're they're twenty seventh in three point efficiency uh, since he went down. That's that's just that's terrible. This team you need you need him on the floor to have spacing, and even when he's on the floor, they're not just this world beating three point shooting team. So if they can add a shooter at the deadline, that'd probably solidify their playoff chances. To me, if LeBron gets healthy and stays healthy for the rest of the year, they're they're probably in uh, j- just because, again, I-, I think he's proven that much. And if they could just get something, can Josh Hart start hitting more of his threes again? He's actually, I think he's been good on defense. I know people were disappointed by him at some point there this season, but I think he's been fine. 
on that side of the ball? Can they get Brandon Ingram just looking like he can be a compliment? He doesn't even look like he can be a featured scorer really anymore. And I know that's a big role change from where he was last season, but if they can get him to be a compliment, if anyone on this team could just hit their damn free throws, uh, they'll be better off. But C plus, I think they're right at expectations. B minus is fine too, but the there seems to be a lack of player development, which even around LeBron James, I would have expected way more than I've seen, particularly when you've had just an opportunity with uh, your wing rotation hasn't warranted at all that you don't play the young guys. And then Rajon Rondo has been injured so often that Lonzo Ball has gotten his fair share of reps. And and the hope there should have just been that we would see more from from those Anthony Davis trade package pieces, which we have not. So Boston must be feeling pretty good about themselves leading into the summer. Yeah, the Anthony Davis to L.A. Um, formality doesn't seem quite as much of a formality as it did uh, a few weeks ago. I um, am not as down on them as you are, though. Not that you're down on them. You still gave them a passing grade. But um, I did give them a slight downgrade from the B-plus. I gave them at the quarter mark. But I, I, they still hang on to a B for me. And I, I actually think they've been a little bit better than I expected without LeBron, as surprising as that may sound. Um, it started off real bad. Uh, overall, they're five and seven without LeBron and they're four and two in their last six and their last win last night, um, which was going on while I was going through the grades was in Oklahoma city with Paul George and Russell Westbrook both playing. I, I think they've shown, um, if nothing else, some spunk in these last 12 games, and and particularly Kyle Kuzma. He's um, not only did he exceed my expectations last season, he's been better than I thought he'd be this season. So so back-to-back years with him being better. And yes, he could certainly shoot better from three, um, and I think that can still improve. Uh, but he's averaging 19-6. and six. Um, He's got an effective field goal percentage, well over 50. I don't know what his true shooting percentage is. Um, his true shooting percentage is 558, probably right around league average. That's pretty good for a guy who scores as much as he does. Um, I'm still, I feel like a lot of people have jumped off Lonzo Ball Island. I'm still there. Uh, during LeBron's absence, he's averaging 13.7 assists and six rebounds, um, stealing a half per game. I, I, I think there's positive signs with this team. I don't. I don't think they're a finished product. <laughs> it would certainly help if they added a shooter, like you mentioned. Um, and and maybe <laughs> maybe the whole goal is for the young guys to rehab their trade value again and, and make a big move. Um, but I actually think there's been some encouraging signs from them this season. I, I kind of figured this is where they would be um, before the season started. I actually felt like they exceeded my expectations a little bit. Out of the gate, I thought it would take a little bit longer for them to gel with LeBron and, and LeBron to kind of lift everyone. But they they came out a little hotter than I expected, and this absence from LeBron has brought their record back to closer to what I thought it would be. That that sounds all fair to me. Uh, they're going to be fascinating to watch once he comes back. And, and just leading into the trade deadline, because they don't want to mess up their cap space, but at the same time, if they want to be a relative threat, in the playoffs, assuming they get there, that, that something kind of needs to to be done at that point. Yeah, we are moving on to the Memphis Grizzlies. I feel like I'm I'm in charge of all the key stats all of a sudden. 
this is the last one before I think you have a nice little run. The Grizzlies are 28th in offensive efficiency, 7th in defensive efficiency, uh, 22nd in net rating. They are 19 and 25. You gave them a B plus the first time. I gave them an A. I'm down to a C minus. This seems like it's become a season ritual where the Grizzlies start out yeah. really hot. They make me feel like a fool for not betting on them in the first place, and then they just go and squander all that goodwill. Since they were 15 and nine, these are not the key stats for me. But since they are 15 and nine, they're four and 16 with the <laughs> NBA's second worst offense, uh, scoring 101.8 points per. 100 possessions, and um, the only team that has been worse at defending the three ball over that stretch is the Minnesota Timberwolves. And that's like a problem because the Grizzlies aren't, well, I mean, it's just a problem in general, but the Grizzlies aren't some great interior defensive team. They can be, but Marcus saw slippage there, and I don't know if it has to do with, uh, he tweaked his ankle earlier in the season against the Toronto Raptors. And I don't know if that's what, like, maybe that's contributing to something. Uh, I, I don't know. He has not been the same guy on defense. This I found fascinating. When Marc Gasol plays without Jaron Jackson Jr., the Grizzlies' defensive rating is 112.2. Wow. Um, when Jaron Jackson plays with without Marc Gasol, the Grizzlies' defensive rating is 108. Not great, substantially better. Huh. He is more dependent on having that mobile front court player around him more than ever. And that's not Gasol, it's, with the exception of it's been kind of a long cold streak. I think he's shooting like, like under 31% from three over his last 15 games or, or something crazy like that. Uh, and the Grizzlies are great defensively when both are on the court. 100.7 defensive rating. There's just been some slippage there. He might be the same player on offense just going through a slump, and I think that that's fair to say. But defensively, he's not going to be the anchor of, of just a, a really stingy team, and, and that's that's a problem for the Grizzlies. You know, they're, they're dealing with their fair share of injuries too. Uh, you have Dylan Brooks done for the season, who's important when you're just looking for them at backup playmakers, Kyle Anderson, who became important to how they were running their half court offense. And obviously what they do defensively, um, he's missing some time right now. Chandler Parsons can't really count anymore. Garrett Temple has been fine, but this isn't a deep team and it's not really even a top heavy team. They have good players. Uh, people are, I know people get upset when Jermichael Green takes minutes from uh, triple J, but he, Jermichael Green is also worth playing. Um, he's been okay this year, not as good defensively as Jared Triple J, who who is fouling everybody still, but rookies tend to do that. So maybe Justin Holiday will be the answer. He had a good game the other night. Uh, he is not playing well since uh, joining Memphis or really playing as much. He's not going to be that third scorer guy, though. He has more off the dribble juice than people credit him with, but they, they need that you know, they're getting by on defense. They need that third score who can put the ball on the floor and create some shots. And it, it will be Jaron Jackson at some point. They're not giving him that freedom right now. And if you're going to, I don't know who you, who you pick after that. Kyle Anderson doesn't shoot enough to be that guy when he's in the game. He's always going to have those two of five, three of seven, th like three of nine. Just he won't, if he takes nine shots in a game, it's, I think Haley's Comet just flew by or something. <laughs> That's something that they're going to have to look at. They're also going to have to look at steering into the tank, though, too, because they are 14th in the Western Conference. 
they need to steer into the tank. Um, that, that top eight pick owed to Boston, though, is a problem because I true. get the argument that you should get another top prospect if you can, and now you move into the next season with maybe Gasol opts in, you'll have Conley, the Triple J, whoever you draft. At the same time, it's like they need to get that commitment over with. And as we talked about with the the lottery odds, if you have one of the three worst records, there's you have a better chance of not falling in the top three than you yeah, do. And so, I mean, if you have one of the three worst records, okay, they're they're good. They probably don't convey that pick then to Boston, but they're not going to have one of the three worst records because when you look at the Suns, Knicks, Bulls, and Cavaliers. They have the bottom four on lock, and the Hawks have been better as of late. But I don't know, can the Grizzlies out tank the Hawks? That would be something interesting to watch. Um, I think the thing with the Grizzlies is that they've just uh, they've maximized the Gasol Conley window anyway. Um, I think it's time to seriously entertain what you can get for either one of those guys, or maybe even both. Um, I gave them a C minus as well. Downgraded from that B plus at the quarter mark. Um, I feel like they're worse than a C minus, but I still gave them that just because I didn't, I didn't pick them for the playoffs. Did you? I don't think you did either. No. I'll look really quick at what yeah. we had, but I didn't expect a whole lot more out of them. We had them that. at eleventh. I had them eleventh in the West. You had them twelfth because okay. you were higher on the Mavericks, and and they're fourteenth. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't. I don't really have a ton to add uh, to what you've said, other than the fact that I. I just think it's time um, to roll it over and Trade try Mike something. Conley to Detroit. Yeah, <laughs> you have some. Uh, you have something to be very hopeful about in the future with Jaron Jackson. I think he could be really, really good. Um, and I think the sooner you turn everything over to him, the better. I'm totally with you there. That. Brings us to, and I think you're on the Minnesota Timberwolves. Ooh, okay. Minnesota Timberwolves. 13th in offense, 19th in defense, 18th in net rating. They are 21 and 23. I gave them a B at the quarter poll. Um, I thought you were about you to say gave, a B now. I almost fell off my chair. <laughs> you gave them a C plus. I gave them a C plus now. Um, I, I think they've been... They've been competitive <laughs> since the Jimmy Butler trade. I think they're still above 500 since they traded Jimmy Butler. Carl Anthony Towns has been incredible since they traded Jimmy Butler. Um, they still certainly have some things to work out. Those, the Andrew Wiggins contract is it's not looking any better now than it did when he signed it. So they have their issues, of course. They're they're actually really good when they have Sarich and Covington on the floor. And the sample's pretty small, but when Sarge, Covington, and Towns are on the floor, they're they're pretty darn good. So um, I think there's a lot positive with this team. Um, I think they just need to find a way to sort of recalibrate the entire thing and and build around Carl Andrew Wiggins. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I don't know if you can get off the Andrew Wiggins contract, and we've talked about that on this podcast. It's hard to find teams that would be willing to take on that deal. But if you can do that, that would be great. My, my key stat for them, um, and this this is obviously more from Thibodeau than it is from Saunders, but they are currently 24th in the NBA in the percentage of their shots that come from 
the zero to three feet range. And they're 24th in the percentage of their shots that come from three. Um, you would like both of those numbers to be higher. They are top 10 in the three zones in between there. So the floater zone, short mid-range, and long mid-range. They're top 10 in all those. And in terms of this percentage of their shots comes <laughs> from that range. So they they had a terrible shot profile under Tom Thibodeau. And I'm not sure it's changed a ton. Um, I looked up since the since the move to Saunders. They're taking one more three per game. I would like it to be a lot more than that. Um, but that that's one thing that they're going to have to work through. They need they need to build around Carl Anthony Towns, and they need to formulate some kind of a strategy that's a little bit more modern. I get that Carl Anthony Towns is a big guy, um, and you probably want him in the post now and then. Um, but I, I want to see a modern team and a modern offense around Carl Anthony Towns. Oh, I'm with you there. It's the – Definitely to a lesser degree because he hasn't been in the league as long. But it's it's all it's the why have the Thunder never surrounded Russell Westbrook and slash Kevin Durant with more shooters type yeah. question. Uh, the and I had this pulled up too when Covington, Sarich, and Towns are on the floor. And I know Covington's been dealing with an injury lately. Uh, the Timberwolves are a plus twelve point four points per hundred possessions. What's more interesting to me is the defensive rating is one hundred six point six, which is that's really solid and. I Covington is a great team defender. I think Sarge has been good when he's on the floor for Minnesota defensively too, because they they've been able to switch more with him in the half court and not often I would say, but I think having both Sarge and Covington on the floor makes Towns look a lot better defensively. I know Taj Gibson is good, but he's not in the modern NBA. If you're going to play two bigs, him and Towns are not the best setup up front. Um, I gave them a C. I gave them a C minus at Bleacher Report. I factor in everything when I do these grades, including front office uh, performance and coaching. You yeah. can't, there is so much. Look, Derek Rose might be a top 50 player this year. And you know, I'm not necessarily a D Rose fan. He's still a mess defensively, but he's having just one hell of an offensive season. Still doesn't get to the foul line, but that's about the only thing that he's not doing. But what and Towns has been better. The Wiggins thing is a lost cause. It's he might be the worst contract in the NBA. I don't care how young he is. He might be the worst contract in the NBA. Tyus Jones, when um, before his injury, he looked really good this year. Jeff Teague wasn't great, but again, as you said, they've they've been close to rock solid since the Butler trade. You, the Tom Thibodeau stuff is unacceptable. You let him drag out the Jimmy Butler situation to the point that it was embarrassing. Um, if your owner Glenn Taylor. And then you can't tell me you didn't have an inkling you were going to get rid of him at some point. So you wait until after he was the one to broker the Jimmy Butler return, which, while a fair return, particularly under the circumstances, you want like the regime in place that's going to be there longer term to make that deal. And then you fire him anyway after you let him make that deal, and you do so while you're in the middle of a pretty good—you just destroyed the Lakers— uh, you had your minions do it for you, and then, which I get as the owner, that's I'm probably being too hard there. That's fine, but it came like just in advance of season ticket renewals. I get the NBA is a business. I get that we both thought Tibbs was going to get canned in the off season, but you let him go out and suss out your return for Jimmy Butler, and then you fired him less than two months later. You can't do that. That's that's close to malpractice. That is close to malpractice. And so they get a C, and that's because their players 
on an individual level have been so damn good. Um, Andrew Wiggins, obviously notwithstanding that <laughs> they've played them out. I want to fail them. I want to give them a, I want to give them a D just because the, the front office thinking there seems to lack a, a coherent vision and, and doesn't know what it's doing. And so may, you know, maybe Saunders is the answer, but maybe he's the answer right now. You can't trust the Grizzlies to tell the difference. So that's just looking at that too, is just really uneasy. Yeah, I think that's all fair, and maybe I probably should have taken the front office mess a little bit more into account. But I do think um, it was it was handled terribly. I do think it was for the best for everyone involved that he's no longer there. Right, but then it should have been done as soon as the Butler stuff happened, or I refuse yeah. to believe that it was hidden from ownership entirely that Jimmy Butler was unhappy immediately after the playoffs. Yeah, that somebody should have caught wind of that at some point, that's for sure. Um, that brings us to the Pelicans after, uh, my little Minnesota Timberwolves rant. The Pelicans are third in offensive efficiency, 26th in defensive efficiency, 11th in net rating, 21 and 24 overall. We both gave them B's the first time around. I have dropped them down to a C minus this time around. They've dealt with injuries. Here's my counter argument. If you're at a point where you need Alfred Payton to be healthy, your <laughs> team is screwed. and the lineups featuring Davis, Drew Holiday, and, and Alfred Payton are obliterating teams this season by almost 30 points per 100 possessions, uh, 26.6 points per 100 possessions to be exact. That is nuts. Miritich has missed some time. Uh, Anthony Davis missed a couple of games. They are so shallow, and I get that we kind of – we didn't know how important Alfred Payton was apparently going to be to them, but we knew that they were shallow leading into the season. I think Stan Van Gundy put it perfectly. Get a mother effing stop. Just do it. Like, there's just the burden on Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday is just way too high. Etwan Moore has fallen off a cliff at both ends. My key stat for them no team in the NBA is giving up a larger share of their three point attempts allowed uh, in uncontested form. So they're giving up. To, put, to simplify that, since that was word vomit times a million, they're giving up wide-open three-pointers more frequently than any other team in the league, and it has nothing to do with their defensive scheme. It's like, that's not, I, I don't, I, Pelicans fans who have watched them more than I have, I don't buy that that's done on purpose, just when you look at their defensive shot profile overall. Uh, it, it's, it's bad, and to be that top-heavy, but not even necessary, like to be so bad. It's just, it's unacceptable there. And I know some people, there was something going around NBA Twitter at one point where Drew Holiday hasn't been as good as expected on defense. I just don't buy it. I think the burden just from wire to wire is, is too heavy on him. And as a larger, if we're taking the front office into account, they needed over the off season, needed to figure out a way to add playmaking to lineups that don't have um, one of Drew Holiday or Anthony Davis, and probably the best way to do that wasn't. I know Julius Randle's been fantastic, but and, and so he's good value on that contract. But it probably you weren't getting it in another big. They've been they've been a shit show whenever um, Anthony Davis or Drew Holiday have to go it alone. There, when when Anthony Davis plays by himself without Drew Holiday, the Pelicans are uh, almost minus 25 points per 100 possessions. And when Drew Holiday plays without Anthony Davis, they're minus 7.3 points per 100 possessions. <laughs> Not great. 
No. And if they um, if they drop far enough outside the playoff picture, I'm interested to see. I guess they're not going to become sellers at the trade deadline. So you have to give off the appearance that you're competing, but it almost looks worse if you try and miss. Yeah, this is uh, the Pelicans are weird to me. Um, <laughs> their roster doesn't look like a team that should be below 500. Anthony Davis is maybe the best player in the NBA. Uh, Drew Holiday is good. Julius Randle is good. Nikola Mirotic is good. Um, you would think the best player in the NBA and three good players would <laughs> that would be enough to at least be 500. Um, so I gave them a C minus as well. I I think they have uh, been a little bit below expectations this season, and I don't know what you do there. I mean, you talked about should they be buyers or sellers at the trade deadline. Um, I honestly don't know if you're if you are not trading Anthony Davis. What are you getting? Um, I don't see how you can trade. Maybe you can trade Julius Randle, but but what do you get back? Maybe a wing that fits a little bit better next to Miritich and. Um, well, I guess the point is if you sell because but, you don't think you're going to keep Randle, you can yeah. trade him anywhere, and then you maybe you end up with a high pick that you could then trade over the off season to sell Anthony Davis, or maybe he really wants to play with Zion or Cam Reddish or somebody. That's yeah. if you can even tank hard enough, though. So, how much longer is Anthony Davis going to be a Pelican? Look. I, if I had to pick, he's not going to be with the Pelicans next season. He's not getting traded this year. Next season, he's not going to be with the Pelicans next season. I said, "Wow!" So you over think, the season, I think he's going to be trade. I don't think they're going to offer him the designated veteran extension. I don't think he's going to sign it, and then you're going to have to trade him. Yeah, I think that's just the fact of the matter. There. Yeah. Um. That's that's tough. It I, I if I had to guess, I don't think he's there long term either. I I can't really put a timeline on it. You um, your reasoning there is is sound though. It'd just be crazy if he was um running pick and rolls with LeBron next season. I don't know if he'll be the Lakers. That's I don't find their package particularly attractive. They yeah, they don't have the best package. Um, that's for sure. So it, it's uh. Yeah, it's just crazy. We are on to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, they are 18th in offensive efficiency, second in defensive efficiency, fifth in net rating, and 26 and 18 overall. And I just want to remind everyone that we are using cleaning the glass stats, which is why they're not number one in defensive efficiency. Uh, they are number one on NBA.com. Uh, you gave them an A last time. I gave them an A minus. I'm giving them a B plus this time. Um, just because I, I don't, I'm not penalizing them solely because they lost to the Atlanta Hawks, but then to go and lose to the Lakers without LeBron, too, that's not a good... I still think they've been better than expected. There were... Uh, they, I wrote... When I did report cards for Bleach Report, Blazer's Edge, um, aggre, they didn't, I don't even call it aggregated, but they wrote an article about my article where I put the Blazers, and someone sent it to me that I know because they some of my you know friends, and I think this is cool, they still think it's cool, when people write articles about what I write. And so I yeah. looked at it and I decided to read the comments and I got to stop doing that on blazer's edge or just in general on these <laughs> fan sites, because it's just, you're not going to get a thousand word breakdown on every team. They were mad that the blazers got a B when Oklahoma city got an A minus when Portland's schedule has been tougher. I mean, like stop, I'm done with like the victim, like fans, like playing the victim. 
you know what? One, you should watch your team more than more than I do. I don't. I'm sorry. I don't know the average amount of dribbles that Joseph Nurkic likes to take when he's going to his right compared to when he's going to his left. And I'm <laughs> not going to apologize. Like it's just the the nitpicking there, and they don't look at it through the other teams' lens. And this is how I'm tying it into the Thunder, who missed Russell Westbrook at the beginning of the season. They do not have an All NBA defender in Andre Robertson. They were not good last year. They're getting a borderline all-star performance from Steven Adams, who might be my third pick, maybe second pick, maybe fourth pick for defensive player of the year right now. I don't know. I haven't sifted through it. Um, they, I, I get their schedule's been easier, and, and that's their key stat for me. Is I, I have two of them, but th- their key stat really is they have the toughest remaining schedule in the league. It's not yep. even just in the Western Conference, and that's going to tell us a lot about them. So I dro- I ended up dropping them down a little bit because of those losses to the Hawks, who've, who've been solid lately, but then the Lakers without LeBron, like, come on. The other thing I will say, this team needs a shooter. Uh, Russell Westbrook still shooting a career high at the rim. He is the worst modest to high-volume three-point shooter in NBA history. It's just, it, he's so bad. Um, and Oklahoma City is putting down 33 0.7% of its wide open threes this season. 33.7%. That would rank 29th overall in overall three-point percentage. That's and they are 29th overall three-point percentage. So they're they, they can't hit wide open threes. That's a big even when you don't have shooting talent to miss those wide open looks, um, that's a big problem. And I'll wrap this up by saying, reiterating, Steven Adams has been really good and if I know people know about his defense, if you don't think he does a, a crap ton on offense, uh, he does. And he, he has an all-star case. He probably won't get in uh, when you look at how many talented forwards and bigs there are, including your man, Rudy Gobert. Uh, he's so good. And, and Paul George, is he, he's probably third on my MVP ballot right now. That's how good he's been. Paul George has been ridiculous. Um, did you see the Steven Adams steak commercial yes, going around? I did. I watched it like five times. Uh, same here. It's it's instantly one of my favorite NBA player ads of all time. Um, just the opening line uh, that he says so fast. I, I rewatched that so many times. Incredible, um, but largely irrelevant to this discussion. Um, Terrence Ferguson, by the way, up to like thirty seven percent shooting from three this season. Maybe that's yeah. Maybe that's your your hope for shooting. Um, and I think we also need to mention that Dennis Schroeder, I know people are giving him compliments. I, he, I, I don't like the fit still. Yeah. Um, it is a little bit wonky. Uh, it, it's just more, it's just another guy who, who can't shoot really. Um, and, and like you mentioned earlier, we've been waiting for years for someone to surround Westbrook with a lot of shooting. And this obviously isn't it. Um, I, I gave them a B plus as well. I actually gave them an A minus last night, but after listening to you and just kind of thinking about it, I'm going to go down a little bit more. Um, they are one in five in their last six games. Um, and like you said, they have the hardest schedule in the NBA the rest of the way. You would like to be entering a really difficult stretch with a little bit more momentum than losing to the Hawks and losing to the Lakers without LeBron. Um, so they're after you know there was a while there where they were kind of in that second to third range and maybe they still are there standings wise. Um, I want to double check that just to make sure they are they're still third 
in the West, but they're only two games ahead of eighth. Um, and a game and a, or yeah, two games ahead of eighth. So they're in an interesting position. Uh, I'm not saying they're going to miss the playoffs, but that's, uh, I think that's in play for everyone from three down is at least a possibility of missing the playoffs. And again, you would have just loved <laughs> to have a little bit more momentum, a little bit more momentum, more momentum. That's a new word. Um, <laughs> Heading into this stretch, Paul George has been ridiculous. I think he's clearly been their best player. Um, the only question I have is Russell Westbrook going to average a triple double and not make the All Star team? The coaches will get him in, right? They'll probably get him in. He's going to yeah. average a triple double and not make an All NBA team. That's happening. Yeah. Um, I don't. I think he's right on the edge of being an All Star. I wouldn't say that he should be an all-star I, I think you could make a case for other guys like i would probably even though the pelicans have a losing record um i think you could make an argument that drew holiday has been just as good as russell westbrook this season maybe even a little bit better um so yeah i i agree with everything that you've said there i think there's a lot to like about them they still have a lot of interesting defensive players like grant and paul george and um Steven Adams, but uh, their offense is scary and not in a good way, and they've got a scary stretch of games coming up here. We are going to be entering warp speed for all the listeners out there who need to know for the last five teams. Uh, Phoenix Suns, 27th in offense, 28th in defense, 26th in net rating, 11 and 35. I gave them a C at the quarter poll. You gave them a D, and I gave them a C again here at the halfway point. Um, Here's my key stat for them. Overall, the Suns' net rating on cleaning glass is minus 9.6. So they're, they're outscored by 9.6 points per 100 possessions. That's in the 14th percentile of all lineups league-wide. They are actually plus one point <clears throat> per 100 possessions, which is in the 55th percentile, when Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, and Michael Bridges are on the floor. Um, to me, that's really encouraging. I think if you had to pick three guys, um, you, you say Suns front office, you, you're only allowed to choose three. Who are you moving forward with? That's probably the three that I would pick. Um, and the fact that they are already positive is, is a really, really encouraging sign to me. Uh, they still have, you know, Aiton has some work to do on defense. Booker obviously could get better on defense. And I think his shooting reputation exceeds his actual effectiveness a little bit. Um, Bridges is a rookie. But the fact that that trio is a plus, um, I, I would not have guessed that coming into the season. And I think that's really encouraging for their first year together. I wanted to give them – I gave them a C- and I gave them a D-plus at Bleacher Report. I really – I killed them for two things. Maybe the Tyson Chandler buyout was fine. The Austin Rivers one was not to me. That seems like a salary. He wouldn't have been able to be uh, traded in combination with another player, but you could have re-aggregated it to maybe take on money and get an asset or something. So I don't, I like, I just to not like the, the way they went about that was just so weird. They also treated themselves like a team that might compete this year when they went after Trevor Ariza in the first place. I'm still hitting them hard for that. Here's the thing that I'm not going to get over. They are in bench minutes per 100 possessions, 23rd in the league. You suck. (laughs) <laughs> Play the people off your bench more. It's you're. We're not talking about a bench that's 
I'm not saying when Jamal Crawford's healthy, give him 20 minutes per game, but you don't you don't have an old bench. Like it's just I I know that they're not necessarily playing any of the wrong players, but I don't think you need to see as much of the starters necessarily right now. T.J. Warren has been fantastic. Devin Booker's been great as the lead ball handler. Uh, Just until recently, they were actually a net plus when Devin Booker played point guard officially. They might have. He's not. He can't. I don't think he could be the guy for the future, but DeAnthony Melton has really made strides um, just as a passer this season. I still really like Mikael Bridges. Uh, And Josh Jackson, over his last 20 games, shooting 37.7% from three on 2.7 attempts. Not huge volume, but just something to watch. And I still really like... uh, his defense, the, the, uh, he's, uh, he's actually been really good defensively. I looked this up the other day. The only non bigs who are currently matching his block percentage and steal percentage are Kyle Anderson and Robert Covington. That's just something to throw out there. So C minus because they're supposed to be bad, but I'm not sure that they're, they're still not going about the rebuild the right way. And again, those, those, the way some of those transactions unfolded right down to the adding Trevor Reese in the first place was just, was just bizarre. Totally agree. That brings us to the Portland Trailblazers, who are uh, eighth in offensive efficiency, 16th in defensive efficiency, and they are 27, uh, 10th in net rating, and then 27 and 19 overall. Uh, you went with an A- minus the first time around. I went with an A- minus the first time around. I've dropped them down to a B plus. I have them at a B at Bleacher Report, so the Blazers fans and the Blazers Edge comment section um, should be really ecstatic. This team is probably exactly who we thought they should be. Damian Lillard, recent slump, but he's just been really, really good overall this season. Um, they've gotten Evan Turner to fill in some gaps. The bench play has fallen off after a really good defensive start. There's a chance that Collins has hit a wall, but Joseph Nurkic has been better uh, than expected, uh, even though he was going through a slump for a little bit. I'm, I'm wondering about this team's defense. They have a, a borderline great defensive shot profile. Uh, their three-point defense is, is not good. 27th overall and 29th in non-corner threes. A lot of that, to me, kind of just eyeballing it on the the eye test there is just having CJ McCollum on the floor um, and how that fits with their defensive scheme. And I know they want to prevent looks at the rim and they're trying to chase guys off the line, which they're mostly doing, um, but that you can't be that bad in an opponent three-point uh, accuracy. And teams are maybe getting lucky to some extent. They're hitting a ton of they're not even hitting a ton of their long twos against the Blazers, so who are great at forcing long twos. They need a wing on this team bad. I'm not saying he would solve everything, but I don't know who you go after. Maybe there's an Otto Porter trade to be made there. Uh, if Maurice Harkless could stay healthy or play for more than a second at a time, uh, that could potentially help them. But uh, they, they I, I just, they're good at not forcing. Uh, they're good at chasing teams off the three-point line but they're still just giving up, uh, just looking at the accuracy to be that low in the rankings. And when C.J. McCollum's on the floor, and maybe I'll make this the key stat instead of the actual three-point defense, 29.2% of opponent shots are coming from three. That's the 85th percentile. Uh, Portland is ninth in the ninth percentile of actual three-point defense during that time. Opponents are hitting 
uh, 39.2% of their threes in those situations. Again, there's an element of luck there because that's a really high number, but that's definitely a problem they have to look at moving forward. And and seems like it has been not the problem, but the wing missing. That's been something that has just, that's been a void for a while. Andy. I'm still here. <laughs> my, uh, sorry listeners. My mute was on. I don't every once in a while. I, uh, it's like a cough button with a radio personality. I'm just not as professional as them and turn it back on. Um, <laughs> I agree with everything that you said about the Portland trailblazers. Um, I gave them a minus. So I'm a little bit higher than you and I'm right where I was with them on the quarter poll. I just kind of think, um, like, Year after year, I think the Grizzlies are going to fall off, and I've been the same way with the Blazers for probably two or three years now, and they just keep plugging along. Um, last year, they finished third in the West, and I thought there was a chance they might miss the playoffs altogether this year. Again, they're comfortably in the playoff hunt. I do think there's a possibility they miss, just like I, I mentioned when we were talking about the Thunder. Um, but they are just very steady and consistent as long as they've got Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum and I think Yusuf Nurkic has taken a, a huge leap that I did not see coming um, this season. He's a better passer. He's been a little bit better out of the post. He's he's always been, I think, slightly underrated as a defender, but he's he's good there again this season. They do need some help on the wing, as you mentioned. Um, <laughs> there's still a tiny piece of me. I, I remember thinking when Evan Turner was signed that they had like this Golden State light thing where Evan Turner would be a playmaker like Green and Lillard and McCollum would be spotting up all over the place like uh, Curry and Thompson. And I still I still think those three maybe should play together a little bit more and that could solve some of their wing issues. But then, of course, Evan Turner has his problems as well. But uh, long story short, I just think this team, um, maybe I'm just rewarding them for consistency because as long as they've got that, that core duo, and now I think it's a trio with Nurkic, um, they're just good. <laughs> so I, I I maintain my A minus for them. Totally fair. Uh that we throw it to you on Jeez. on the Kangs. Uh 16th on offense, 17th on defense, 21st on net rating, 23 and 22, 45 games into the season, and the Sacramento Kings are above 500. Um I gave him an A at the quarter poll, you gave him a B plus, and I am sticking with the A for the Sacramento Kings. Um, I think before the season, the only two teams I could definitively say were going to be uh, sort of in the tank race in the way in the West was the Phoenix Suns and the Sacramento Kings. And I, I just whiffed on the Kings. They are so much better than I thought they would be. I mean, 23 and 22 isn't like an amazing team, but given what we've seen from the Kings the last few years, um, maybe it is kind of amazing. They, they've been, Really, really solid this year. My key stat for them, uh, the average rankings that I do, which takes a player's rank in 10 different catch-alls and then s- averages those and then sorts by the average um, to get a list of who's been the best player this season. De'Aaron Fox is was 32nd the last time I did that. Last season, he was near the, the very bottom of the league. Um, and being near the bottom of the league isn't, super unusual for a rookie, but what is unusual is to make like a 200 to 250 yeah. <laughs> um, in one year. 
he is a huge part of their turnaround. Um, he's averaging, uh, I don't have it pulled up now, but it's somewhere around like 17 points, um, seven assists. His shooting is much better than I thought it would be. Um, he's got, threes now, which is incredible. 17.7 points, 7.3 assists, 37% from three. Um, Buddy Heald has been good. I've, I've always believed in Buddy Heald. I didn't know. I, I, I probably wouldn't have even guessed that he'd be a 20-point scorer, shooting almost 45% from three. Um, Bogdan Bogdanovich is good. When those three guys are together, Sacramento is really tough. Um, I just they, – and they're a fun team to watch too, the way – how fast they play. All the uh, time. Yeah, it the, just doesn't stop. It's amazing, and I love uh, Fox's demeanor. He's he's got a killer instinct to him. I, there's just a lot to like about this team. They're they're probably still a few years away. Um, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if they they fade and and finish you know comfortably out of the playoff race. But for them to be more than halfway through the season and above 500 is just a huge huge win to me. So they're they're an easy A. Yeah, same here. And uh, spoiler for the NBA 100 with Bleacher Report, it isn't set in stone right now, but they have five players in the top 100. <laughs> Bogdanovich has been really good this year, uh, in addition to Heald and Fox. I'm on the fence about Willie Cauley-Stein. I feel like whenever I watch the Kings, it's it rotates between I really like him and then he kind of has a blah game. But uh, I don't. they have to get an A for me. I don't, I don't care about their sub-500 record against... Western Conference teams. Uh, I don't care about the Luka Doncic jokes. I don't care that the Kings with cap space and expiring contracts at the trade deadline is a harrowing notion that could set them up for disaster. I don't care that this whole thing between Vlade, Jaeger, and Assistant General Manager Brandon Williams is destined to end poorly. I just, <laughs> I really don't care. They were not supposed to be within. Even though they have no incentive to tank, they were never supposed to be within a stone's throw of the playoff race more than halfway through the mm-hmm. season. And and that's just where they are. And cleaning the glass overall on the year has them as one of the NBA's six luckiest teams when looking at their point differential versus record. Since Christmas, however, they are one of the three least luckiest teams. So huh. there's that to consider that starting to even out. So the, the performance in the aggregate that we've seen from the Kings is not unreal and it's it's definitely closer to genuine than not and the last thing i'll say is marvin bagley's been better than i thought he would be um he's averaging 20 and 10 per 36 and his box plus minus is just a little bit above replacement level which is not great but um i didn't think he could create his own offense as much as i've seen seen yeah and having that from the four is nice and i think he's even big enough to play some five he needs if they want to be a contender, I would think he needs to be your five. Yeah, and that's that's a really interesting look to me. Um, with Fox, Heald, and Bogdanovich, one through three, Bagley at the five, and, and maybe another guy who can shoot and play make a little bit at the four. Um, they're, they're a team with a, a fun future to think about over the next couple of years. To San Antonio. Spurs are sixth in offense, <laughs> which is crazy to me. 21st in defense. 12th in net rating, 26 and 20. Uh, they had a C at the quarter way from me, C minus from you, B minus from me now. Um, I, could, I was going to say, I could probably be talked into going higher than that. Um, they've been really, really strong lately. I'm still dubious for some reason. I, I feel like this could sort of fall apart 
for the Spurs. Um, I don't think they're as bad as they were for the first few weeks of the season. I also don't think they're the team that was just like um, steamrolling people for two or three weeks, whatever it was. Uh, they're probably somewhere in the middle. My key stat for them, uh, they're plus 0.8 points per 100 possessions, which is the 54th percentile when DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge are on the floor. They're plus 12.7 points per 100 possessions, which is the 97th percentile when both of those guys are off the floor. Um, so I, I still think that Greg Popovich, like like Carlisle, he's obviously a really good coach, and he's really good at putting together a different bench, or, or, or a good bench uh, is what I meant to say. Um, but I think some of those bench guys need to be playing more, and they need to be playing more with, uh, like Davis Bertans should be out there more with LaMarcus Aldridge. You need floor spacers. He if has been in recent weeks. That's true. Um, but I think if your two leading scorers are LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan, who rely so heavily on two-pointers, um, you need to get as much three-point shooting around them as you can. And it, it's maybe a Herculean task to talk Greg Popovich into threes, but the, I, I think that would help them. And here I am. I'm, I said I was surprised they're so good on offense. So maybe I'm just sort of <laughs> maybe it's kind of a moot point because they're a lot better on offense than I than I thought they would be. But I still think there's a there's another level for them to get to. Yeah, that that stretch you're talking about since December third, when they dropped um, to uh, after they fell to eleventh and for eleven and fourteen, they are tenth in offense efficiency and seventh in defensive efficiency. They have just been, they've been really good. They have officially the best bench point differential per 100 possessions in the NBA right now. They finally overtook, um, they finally overtook, overtook Indiana, which was up there. Uh, the, the thing that I could penalize them for, and oh, and, and by the way, Derek White, oh my God. He's great, yeah. He's just, over his, over his last, uh, over the Spurs' last 12 games, of which he's played in 11 of them. He is averaging um, per th- these are these are per thirty six, mind you, seventeen point seven points, uh, four point seven rebounds, four point three assists, one point five steals, one point one blocks, and slashing sixty one forty eight seventy seven. He might be a, end up being a swing prospect for them. Bryn Forbes has still been pretty good off the dribble too. He's not long, but I think he's less of a defensive liability than than people say. Derek White absolutely helps with that because he's been great on that end. They get a B plus from me, and the, the only reason why I'm still I want to give them an A minus just because of you know I, they're just they're putting it together again when most people didn't expect them to make the playoffs. I think I would argue a majority of people picked them to miss. I did not, so I will I will point out the one of fifty predictions that I might get right, and there's still a chance <laughs> that I won't because the the West is crazy. They need to start winning on the road more. I know they just beat Dallas, but. Uh, you lost to Oklahoma City. You lost to Memphis, who just really can't play at this point um, on the road. So it's and the loss to Charlotte at home was was not good. I'm not trying to single out individual performances, but you need to have if you're the Spurs, you need to start playing better on the road. Totally agree. That brings us to the Utah Jazz. Who are they? Last in the West, <laughs> uh, 20th in offense, first in defense, eighth in net rating. They are 25 and 21. I gave them a D plus the last time we did this. You gave them a C and I've bumped them all the way up to a B minus. Maybe D plus to B minus is a good signal of uh, how volatile my jazz fandom can be. Um, my key stat for them, <clears throat> obviously Ricky Rubio has been out for a little bit and they've played really well. 
that has a lot to do with some of the opponents that they faced. But in the four, so the Jazz have played 444 possessions with Donovan Mitchell at point guard and Rudy Gobert at center. They're plus 10.7 points per hundred possessions uh, when those two guys are at those positions. That's 94th percentile. Um, and just sort of an addendum to that stat. The Jazz are 13-3 and three when Mitchell has at least five assists. Um, that would make them 12-18 and 18 in every other game. 13-3 and three when he gets at least five assists. I think for the first month or two of the season, it really – he was just trying to do too much. Um, he was taking so many difficult shots. It just looked like everything was forced with him. And it's understandable. He, he got so much hype coming out of that rookie season. And I think he probably felt a lot of pressure to, to follow that up and be better than he was last year. And over the last, basically been a month now, um, maybe a little bit shorter than that. But he has the game appears to have slowed down for him. I know that's a cliche, um, but he's he's looks like the player I think a lot of us expected into this season. So um, he's been a lot better. The Kyle Korver trade was huge for them. Um, just turning those Alec Burks minutes, as much as I love him, into Kyle Korver has really helped. Joe Ingles shooting de- is down this year, but he's doing a lot of other things. He's he's still a huge contributor in a lot of different ways and. Um, Rudy Gobert, my goodness, we were just texting about this the other day, but in those, that average rankings thing that I was talking about earlier with Fox, he's been a steady fixture in the top 10 all season. He's just been absurd, uh, this year. So they, they are starting to look good and the opposite of the thunder, they have a really easy schedule coming up the rest of the way. So they are easiest in the West. Very, very, very good shape. So I gave him a. Uh, I already forgot what I gave him. I gave him a B minus um, because I still think that they under. I still feel like they underachieved a little bit uh, in the first part of the season. I gave them a B plus because, and this is also for the. This was the other team that uh, some of the Blazers commenters had singled out. That how did Utah get a B plus? Um, and then the Blazers <laughs> only got a B at the time. I I have now they're both at B pluses. So uh, there you go. But the Jazz have played. One of the three toughest schedules in the league, and I think Portland is fourth. That being said, Utah has the highest net rating in victories of of I, I think in the West, and then only Boston and Milwaukee have better net ratings in victories. Utah has the fourth best point differential per 100 possessions since December 1st. That's I mean that that's incredible to me. Uh, this is like you. I don't really have anything to add about the stuff that that you said, and you know that I, I kind of, I think I just want something to happen at the trade deadline, but it would be kind of cool if they just added another combo wing or leaned into the Jay Crowder at the four model, because even when Jay Crowder is not playing well offensively, I still think that just opens all kinds of things for their offense. Uh, I'd like to see them do that, but the random thing I'm going to single out, aside from Joe Ingles' recent slump, which he's kind of offset with, with his passing because of all those point guard injuries. How about Royce O'Neal starting he's to play good. better? He's, yeah. I mean, since he's gotten more minutes, we've seen his like shooting percentages uh, kind of drop. But he's shooting in those four games where he's playing heavy minutes. Uh, he's shooting forty three point eight percent from deep. And if you even just look at his last twelve games, uh, where he's been averaging over seventeen minutes during that span, he is slashing forty two. Uh, I'm looking at the wrong, fifty forty eight, and then uh, one hundred at the free throw line. But he doesn't get there, so it doesn't matter. Royce O'Neal is really starting to to perk up. 
I'm, I'm, he's going to be someone for them that I'm going to watch the rest of the year. And I almost feel bad that we don't talk about Derek Favors enough. He just puts yeah. up such great individual performances. I don't know how valuable his impact is to them winning. He's just a very good player, but we've talked about this in the text thread ad nauseum. It's just if he could more efficiently carry an offense on his own in the second unit, I'm talking without a Donovan Mitchell or Joe Ingles or Ricky Rubio on the floor, that would give him clearer value. Other than that, though, it's uh, it's it's he's just so weird. He's he's a really good player, but again, I don't know what his impact is to them winning or if they want to make that next step into the contender circle. Yeah, I really think he should be a starting center somewhere. Um, and he's <clears throat> he's really good at switching on the perimeter too. I think playing so much four over the course of his career has really helped him there. So he, I, th- and I think he could do some things that a lot of starting centers in the NBA can't do and he's he's really good individually he just it's just not the best fit in utah right now it'll be interesting they're they're another team that's going to be really interesting to watch did you see windhorst on the jump the other day said watch the jazz and the kings for Otto porter yes those have been basically the two teams that we've been watching for Otto porter though right so it'll be interesting to see if that happens and i'm still very much in love with your uh hawks jazz wizards trade yeah ends up We'll have to talk about that uh, on a trade deadline pod or something. I'm very much in love with it too, but I might be biased. Oh man, I would just be thrilled. Um, And I would like it even if, um, even if they didn't end up getting Sadoransky. All right. That takes us through all 15 Western conference teams. I was dubious that we could do it. So you guys should thank Dan. He's the faithful one in the podcast. He knew we could. Um, If you have any gripes, uh, you can get at us on Twitter. Or the Dan's Blazers at- Edge comment section. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor, at NBA underscore math. Um, as always, we invite you or uh, recommend by force. <laughs> I don't know if we can personally <laughs> recommend by force, but you can recommend by force. Um Rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. If you have friends, family who don't subscribe, uh, make sure you do that recommendation by force. And until next time, we leave you with the shout out to Kyle Anderson. Whoa, and Benu Udry. I switched up the order. Wow. Because Kyle Anderson is an OG. (laughs) Yeah. Lowe's knows you'll do it right and do it yourself to make refreshing changes to your kitchen and bath. We do it right, too, with up to 40% off select kitchen and bath essentials during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. That's up to 40% off faucets, vanities, shower heads, and more. For kitchen and bath updates that keep you within budget, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.